0: We all have those slotting door moments where we wonder what might have been if things had turned out differently with an ex that wondering might be triggered by a chance meeting. You run into them outside a bar, just for example. At the end of the day, good or bad, these people and relationships have most likely shaped part of who we are today, maybe even influencing how we approach our current relationships. So how important are the memories we carry with us? Or put another way, how tight is the hold of past experiences and relationships on your present relationships? I'd love to get your thoughts on this. How does holding on to past romantic relationships influence how you feel about the one you're in right now? Do we have to let go of the past to move forward, or is it okay to carry those memories with us? Life Matters' guest today is someone who spent a lot of time exploring these questions in her fiction, Sloane Crosley is an essayist and New York Times bestselling author, and through her writing, she's been a keen observer of the challenges of modern relationships, and she wrestles with the themes that I've just ex- uh, elucidated above with her latest novel, Cult Classic. Sloan Crosley, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I wonder what you think of those questions about the impacts of ghosts of past relationships showing themselves and particularly what spurred you to
1: explore them in the realm of fiction. Um, well, you would think I would have more of an answer. I was listening to those questions thinking, yeah, that is a good question. After <laughs> writing you know, a 300-page novel, you'd think I'd have some insight. But I think it's always this battle um, between not getting sucked into the quicksand of the past, not comparing different people, um, really sort of uh, being in the moment, as they say. Um, and then also, I think I just felt, and part of the reason I wrote the book is it has to count it all counted in the world in the words of Joan Didion and I feel like sometimes when we discredit let's say a five-month relationship or you know you tell yourself this narrative that you, you know your dating life is a mess etc cetera, etc cetera, um, it's sort of disrespectful to our own lives even if you didn't like the person and you know that's what you have let's say in place of a marriage or a divorce or you know a long-term 10-year relationship so I think it is important to maybe not hold on to those people individually, but um, as sort of a prism into your own tastes and your own life. Yeah, no one wants to look back at a period of time and think, well, that time was wasted because what does that right.
0: say about how you spent your own time? There's value in that regardless of, yes. or you can hope for value in that, I guess it depends on the circumstances. Um, if anybody listening is a fan of Sloane's writing, in addition to cult classic, she's also author of The Clasp and three essay collections, Look Alive Out There. I was told there'd be cake, which is an amazing title, Sloane, I love it. And how did you get this number? Maybe you have a question for Sloane about her writing or something in the novels, or otherwise, I'd love to hear your stories and reflections about how you carry the shadow of past relationships into new ones. I don't necessarily think, like Sloane, that it's all bad. There can be good. All of our experiences make us who we are today. Let's start with cult classic Sloane, and let's start with your protagonist, Lola. She's a smart New York City media type who's forced to wrestle with her past relationships because... She's like in some kind of Bermuda Triangle of exes. She keeps on running into them. Tell us a little bit about Lola and the encounters she has with these men.
1: Well, um, first I'll say I do think there's something that happens. This all takes place on the Lower East Side, the novel, um, in close proximity to um, an abandoned synagogue um, that has been essentially turned in the novel, not in real life, um, into an upscale mind control cult by uh, her former boss. Um, And so there's an eternal sunshine kind of bent Mm. to it, where um, she is essentially what she presumes at first to be a coincidence that happens in many cities. I just want to, you know, sort of dispel some of the New York snobbery. I mean, I think that, you know, coincidences do happen, to my understanding, in Minneapolis. Um, But basically, Uh, She is sort of it's not just a coincidence that she keeps running into these men and she's given this option and she's sort of having doubts about her own um, impending engagement to another man um, And she keeps getting sort of stuck like the past keeps hooking into her And so basically um, she's given this option that if she steps within a five-block radius pretty much of this (laughs) abandoned old shul uh, She will run into an ex. and I feel like it is a you know a bit of speculative fiction, a bit of comedy of manners, but um I don't know. I feel like um I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's heightened, but I think a lot of people listening can probably
0: relate to Uh, you know, if they live in a city especially and and frequent certain places, you can end up meeting people and really the decision to make eye contact or avert a gaze is one that you have to make in a split second in the moment. Uh, And and possibly walk straight into traffic. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, uh, yeah, it can can be a bit dangerous. Now, when we talk about encounters with previous partners, whether they're online or in the street, obviously they can throw up a whole range of emotions. By bringing Lola face-to-face with so many ex-partners, what were you wanting that character to
1: confront? Mm. Um, I think I was... You know, it, it, our sort of um, journeys, uh, which is such a strange way to um, talk about a character, like they're real. It always sounds a little insane. Um, but Lola's journey and mine were sort of similar in that sense, um, where we discovered together what would, what the patterns were, you know, um, and what what it was that she was trying to do. And I think it's always really hard, you know, her whole life. She's sort of been trying to balance the very real difficulty of dating in any city, um, and these facts and how she specifically is handling it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not everything can be resolved through a change of outlook or therapy. Sometimes you just win the lottery or you don't. <laughs> um, and so she's sort of trying to figure out why she keeps on holding on to all, the, all these past relationships. Um, and as they build, one of the nice things she realizes is that some of the people that she had either hurt or she thought um, hurt her, she has this immense amount of affection for. So for all her cynicism um, about um, romance and dating and is there such a thing as closure and is there such a thing as the one and all those traditional questions, um, she has this sort of um, warmth um, when she looks at them as a sort of pastiche,
0: right, and, 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 it, and, helps her, and it helps
1: her move on. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah. So there's there's some positivity in there. Do you think that there's anything particularly about the millennial experience that um, I don't know brings some of these issues more into the foreground than, say, past generations?
1: Probably. So I am, I mean, personally, um, I am, I believe it's called the lucky generation, the, the one that's wedged right between X and millennial. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did not uh, grow up with the internet, but we had it in college. I think that's the defining characteristic. And I think that when I see my younger friends, and not that much younger, obviously, um, the sort of proliferation of apps, of um, shopping for people, of dismissing people, um it might give you a temporary hit of power, um depending on which direction you swipe, I suppose, um, but it seems very depressing to to start to view not only your love life but all of humanity like this, and I think people are given less of a chance um, you know, and that's and that's sort of tough,
0: yeah, it is uh, I'm for talking them. yeah <laughs> I'm talking with uh, Sloan Crosley, the New York Times bestselling author. Uh, Uh, author of the novel Cult Classic, among other novels. The other one is called The Clasp. And Sloane's going to be in Australia soon for a whole bunch of different events. And so we're speaking to her ahead of her arrival here. And on Life Matters this morning, we're thrashing out the role our past relationships play in our lives. These are some themes that Sloane traverses in her novel Cult Classic. I'd love to hear your real-life experiences. How... Do you view your exes do you view them with affection do you view yourself your past self with affection do you give i suppose do you allow yourself some space and some mercy about uh how you were like in that relationship have you learned from them or maybe you've got a question for Sloan because she's a bit of a star in the literary world. You've Got a text here from Margaret, and Margaret says, I exited a relationship with a needy and controlling man and had no relationship for 14 years. Then the next one, after knowing the man as a friend at first, was long distance for many years, which worked well for me. And we hear a lot about that um, being together, but also being alone at the same time. There's so many different modes of relationships that we can have. Margaret, thank you so much for texting in. Um, Sloan, I wonder, you know, we talk about that slotting door moment, you know, about imagining what could have been what we might have uh, gone for if we'd stuck with a relationship. And there's also that moment. I think that's quite interesting in your novel uh, cult classic where Lola talks about how with her current partner, her fiance Boots, they have these rules about how much space they give their exes and how much mm. they can speak about their exes. In fact, they, they pretty much say that's not allowed. It's such an interesting phenomenon to think about because there's a lot of, I think,
1: unexpected consequences in that, aren't there? Well, I know, you know, I think what happens is that it it's more that you just don't want to scratch the surface and see what's behind it. Because I think that you There's sort of no way to control how an ex blooms in your partner's imagination once you start talking about them. And you might know that they are sort of cordoned off and they only take up a certain percent of the pie chart of your romantic history. But it all sort of it's like eating a bunch of different food. It all goes to the same place, you know, in their imagination. And so you don't want to hurt the other person. Um, But part of the wonderful thing, if you're with the right partner, is they're also your friend. And it's sort of there's that impulse to sort of fall backwards into, oh my God, and then this happened. And then that, you know, that person did this insane thing. And you sort of forget that this is somebody who, um, you know, might potentially think that you're still wrapped up in it. Um, But I think that for Boots and Lola, I know Boots is sort of a silly name. It's explained in the book. Um, But for the two of them, it's more, he doesn't want to know because he's only dated about two people. yeah, And she has been on this real sort of, um, you know, Four to six month married merry go round in New York for mm-hmm. about ten years, um, and so he doesn't. You know, they just decide that they're going to sort of move into the future together and not discuss it. Um, and it turns out to be a, a ridiculous, ridiculously bad decision. Well, exactly <laughs> because one part, you know, one half of them is keeping it's like having a, a, a second family or a, even just a, a second house you didn't tell your partner about.
0: Yeah, a double life. And the longer you don't talk about yeah. it, the more difficult it is to, to share. And it it does the inverse, doesn't it? That it in, in wanting to make hold space for the current relationship, you actually end up, these, these kind of ghosts, we keep using the, the word, take, begin to mm. actually take on more significance because they are the not spoken yes. of, the taboo, which well, is such a... Yeah.
1: Anybody... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 I'm listening to you. <laughs> I was just going to say that... Um, you know anybody has the experience and it doesn't even have to be romantic it could be you know a friendship breakup it could be about your family about work uh about your landlord i don't know um where you're making the other person too big you know you're just in conversation with them so much and i think the danger that happens with a lot of people lola included um and you know i say this without being a uh, board certified psychologist noted um but noted please note (laughs) yes definitely Um, but i (laughs) I think what happens is is that you sort of convince yourself that because you've dismissed the person, you feel like you're maybe better than them, you know, you're no longer jealous of them, you you maybe aren't rooting for them, whatever it is that you've you've won um to put it plainly. You know, but the truth is is unless your thoughts are neutral or just sort of broadly well, I mean, I hope they don't get hit by a car. I hope they don't become homeless great. I don't care. Um, But if you still have that sort of active negative thing, um, you're just making them Massive, um, and you're not doing the work of shrinking them down, um, and so um, I've completely lost my train of thought. But I think I'm actually just regurgitating my therapist <laughs> at this point. That's okay.
0: Uh, we do a lot of we do a lot of on air therapy here on Life Matters, so you're right <laughs> you're in our wonderful. wheelhouse. Yes, mostly we talk to psychologists and we answer lots of questions. So this is a safe. I think they would space, agree with me. Sloan. They just have
1: a little. They would have a better sense of why your childhood informs that than oh, I do. A
0: hundred percent. That's Sloane Crosley. Sloane, I was thinking as you were talking about that, that what also happens is that memory is fallible, isn't it? We start to forget the annoying day-to-day that may have led to the breakup and Mm -hmm. the other qualities that 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 ex doesn't necessarily remain as the person, but as that almost like a sense memory, uh, good or bad. And it can be a bit of a shock like for Lola when she encounters her exes to kind of compare her memory of who they are Mm -hmm. with the reality of who they are and not just the reality of who they are when they were in the relationship, but what has
1: happened in like the years since. Well, I think one of the bigger things she learns is that just because something ends Prematurely doesn't mean it wouldn't end eventually, and I think that takes the sting out of a lot of hurt if you think about it that way, because it accounts for the sort of little irritations and annoyances, um, or even if you're not irritated and it's the reverse, and you felt you were always auditioning for someone and you could never be comfortable, that it w- you can't do that for twenty years. It was never going to work, um, and you know I always say it's not in the book, but you know when I'm talking to friends at least that. Um, there's this sort of membrane of ego around the heart, and sometimes it can be very difficult to tell what took the hit. And I'm not saying that heartbreak isn't extremely real, but sometimes it is the ego. And the other person just saw the writing on the wall first, and they're just a, a better reader than you are. Mm. <laughs> um, but it doesn't mean you wouldn't have seen it eventually as well. And I think part of what Lola sees um, you know, one of my favorite interactions in the book is she goes back to this restaurant, you know, the second night again and again. That's right near the synagogue I mentioned. Um, and she runs um, into this very sweet sort of all-American athlete that she had dated that moved out of town. And she was always sort of snippy to him, you know, and and just making sort of snide jokes. At mm. one point, he gets her a notepad that says, like, you've got this. <laughs> and her response is you know, thanks, I'll write my suicide note on it. You know, she's sort of a, she's a dark yes. person. It's a culture clash. Um, and she, yeah, and she sees him and she apologizes for being so terrible. You know, she's like, well, now that I have an, you in front of me, I'm sorry, I was kind of a jerk. And he goes, oh, in all sincerity, you weren't being a jerk, you were just being yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful backhanded compliment. <laughs> yes, but, but he sort of doesn't mean it. It's like no. he gets, she, she sees herself Properly through, through the eyes of all these people through the first time. And, so, first time and really.
0: so significant because, it you know, the memories that we hang on to, that we overthink, are not necessarily the things that our exes hang on to. They could have seen and interpreted no. them in entirely different ways. And you don't, and then you kind of feel like, oh, why did I hang on to that? They didn't even, they weren't well, even it's bothered like par- by it. I
1: mean, parents tell this story all the time, like this sort of horror show of raising children and not knowing if this fight in this terminal of this airport is going to be what they talk about. About 30 years to their therapist. (laughs)
0: Exactly. (laughs) We've got so many thoughtful texts coming through about their reflections on past relationships. And this one comes from Sophie. Sophie says, I'm in a relationship with a young family, and I think about my past relationships all the time. They were all fantastic, but so dysfunctional and painful in many ways, and they all taught me about who I am and what my trauma is. But ultimately, my current relationship is the only one where both of us have been truly willing to examine who we are ourselves and who the other is and work out how to have love for ourselves and each other. And our beautiful children are a constant shining light for us both. It's not perfect, but it's where we are, and for that reason, I never have regret for what never happened with others." What a beautiful, thoughtful beautiful. message. Sophie, thank you so really? much for sharing. And that line, learning how to love the other person, but also have love for yourself is so key, isn't it? And I think that keys into some of the themes you explore in cult classic through Lola. What do you think her level of love is for herself as
1: she moves through the story? Oh, wow. Um, I think I wouldn't necessarily use the word love. I have to say that 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 note was that text was so beautiful. It I'm wasn't like, it? That's exactly how you should We've do it. We've got the best should... listeners on Life Matters. Yeah, it's like, you know, warts and all. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that uh, it, it's more. This is a. a strange analogy, but, you know, Truman Capote once said of Los Angeles. um, And when I say Truman Capote, I could mean Dorothy Parker. We're not sure. But somebody like that said that Los Angeles was 72 towns in search of a city. And sometimes when I think of Lola, that's what I think her progression is, is to try to marry all these sort of neighborhoods of her heart, if you'll allow me to be so cheesy, and um, of her past, um, and sort of just put the puzzle together and figure out more about who she is and what she wants. Um, And I don't want to, you know, sort of spoil the ending and the decision she makes, um, but the question is, is she basically going to be informed by these relationships to decide that the relationship she's in is sort of lackluster mm-hmm. or is the relationship she's in the secret thing she's been looking for all along or you know it's just or is there one of these men along the way that was always the right one um there is a sort of dickensian um it's nature confusion to of choice isn't it Yes, of course. I mean, that's and that's the thing. And the problem, you know, the book is also a bit of a send up of technology because, like I said, there's a mind control cult, yes. and of you know, a modern one works a lot through Instagram and sort of subliminal messaging and things of this nature. Um, and I think that you know, she's just sort of we're living in this world where there's this proliferation of choice, and you can find apps to design the bathroom tile on the house that you do not own um, that tell you, you know, when to drink, when to eat, you know, how much seaweed, everything. Um, and I think the one of the other main characters in the book, this sort of megalo-, excuse me, um, this sort of maniacal um, man named Clive has some good points where he's like, you know, there's apps for everything, but no one helps you make the most important decision of your life. And so that's what he's trying to do.
0: We've got a call in from Croydon in Sydney. Francesca, welcome. To- to life matters what are your thoughts on uh, how we hold on to the memories of our exes as we move through into new relationships
2: uh, hi um i just want to say actually uh, if i end up uh, a relationship uh well my relationship ended up uh it was a five years uh, relationship and uh ended up for a sex problem or oh, i thought i had sex problem and uh, i always blame me and uh, you know, uh, will take the fault all the time. Um, then I decided to go to therapy and, uh, um, yeah, I just And how has uh, that
0: helped you shift your thinking about, uh, laying blame in a relationship, Francesco, or, or, or how you allocate responsibility?
2: Yeah. Um, I thought it was always my fault, you know, Mm -hmm. always blame myself. And, uh, at the end, uh, during therapy, I realized that I didn't do anything wrong. It was just uh, society and uh, my family, uh, because they were, uh, you know, Catholic Christian, shaming sex. And I discovered mm. that all my problem came from uh, shame. And uh, going to therapy, yeah, um, I fix all of that. It took a while, but you know, um, it, it's much better. I just want to say to people. Because there are a lot of people that uh, they are afraid to go to, to therapy because uh, they, they are ashamed to, to be called crazy or, uh, you know, oh, I don't have mental health, I don't need therapy. But therapy is not just for problems uh, like mental health. It is also to uh, have a better quality of life. It doesn't matter if you have mental issues or if you're depressed or not. You can just have a better quality of life with uh, therapy.
0: That's such a positive story, Francesco. Thank you. And how do you feel like going to therapy and working through those issues and making those connections has helped you as you uh, look for new uh, connections with other people?
2: Uh, yes. Uh, it helped me a lot because now I know uh, um, I'm not rushing into a relationship like I used to do before. Yeah. Um, you know, just to, uh, to get a quick fix. I'm working on myself and uh, I know what I want. And uh, I'm not uh, just blind myself up uh, to get whatever uh, is there just because I want something.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for calling in and sharing. It's not easy to talk about your past relationships on live radio. So really do appreciate Mm. your call, Francesca. (laughs) Sloan Crosley, New York Times bestselling author, is also listening in and uh, a few of your texts coming in. I'll just read them now. Some people seem to be able to go from one relationship to another. Me, it's often up to 15 years between and it's now 15. And it's 15 now. I'm 74, so another relationship is unlikely. I gotcha. So I'm left with the ghosts of past relationships. The man I call my main ex, a seven-year relationship from 22 to 29, keeps popping up. I have conversations with him. I left him. He'd worn me out, turned me into a person I didn't like. But I can't help wondering if I'd had more patience, had the child that lurked in our shadows... um, and I'm unable to read the rest of it, but I can see, actually, Sloane, that almost sounds like a premise for a novel. It's a, it's a kind of a, mm-hmm. a lovely thing to write in, and, and not that it's uh, lovely that you're not in a relationship if you don't want it, that's not what I mean to the texture, but to kind of be able to return to past relationships and forge a new relationship with them and keep that going so many years later, that's quite extraordinary, isn't it, Sloane?
1: It, it really is. I mean, when you said it sounds like the plot of a novel, not to plug someone else's here, but it sounds like the plot of Evening by Susan Minot. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's this sort of woman who sort of can't let go of in the novel. It's like one specific night with a man she felt that she was supposed to be with. Um, and she hangs on to it uh, on her deathbed and starts talking about this man that her children have never heard of, you know, that her husband had never mentioned. You know, and it's just... Um, I think it's just again, it's all about sort of um, respecting um, your own past um, and knowing that even if you know this gentleman thinks that he won't date anyone again, it doesn't mean you know we're sort of fed this stuff about okay, you have to these images of somebody just holding your hand until the very end and um, and being with you until the very end. And again, it's I think at any stage of life. Um, it doesn't have to, you don't need consistency to have a wonderful, rich, romantic past.
0: No, that's right. That's absolutely true. Um, calling in is Maham in Sydney. Welcome to Life Matters. What have you learned from past relationships?
3: Thank you, Beverly. So for me, it's, I. In every relationship that I've entered into, I've taken the beautiful memories from my past um, love interests or or partners and I've actually used that to carry me through every single relationship. But it wasn't an easy thing to do. It wasn't an easy realization. It actually took a lot of courage because I was under that belief that when when a relationship ends, you have to let go of all the memories. Mm And letting go was actually the hardest part. And what I've come to realize is that life and love is a continuous letting go off and it actually takes me back to a question that Carrie Bradshaw asks in Sex and the City. Yes, go on. Where does does the love go? When the relationship ends, where does love go? And I think it just stays inside of you. You have to carve out a little place inside of you and it just stays there and you have to honour the relationship that you had with your ex and It just stays inside of you. It does. I don't know. I still ask myself to this day when I'm having a really tough one. Mm -hmm. But it's it's still inside of me. That's so profound, Maham. That that you're able to think
0: about what sometimes I'm sure may have been difficult endings Mm -hmm. of relationships, and you've been able to turn it into this this beautiful, sustaining jewel for yourself that you hang on to. Mm -hmm. And so often, when we think about breakups, we think about disaster failure, all of those negative things. And it seems so profound that you've been able to turn that around. What is What was the turning point for you? What was that moment where you were able to shift and actually mine that gold from the past?
3: I think for me, it was actually the last relationship that I was in. The person was... Um, the person that I was with, I thought I was going to be with them forever. It's that Disney belief, right? And when that relationship ended, the words that you just mentioned, cat- you know, catastrophe, failure, loss, and... And I think for me, it was, okay, well, I can't argue with reality anymore. I have to use this really painful breakup and I have to move through life now. And I think that last relationship was the turning point. I can't say that for every relationship, but maybe we experience that one relationship or we're with that one person who, who kind of is the catalyst for that. So I think that's what I would put it down to. Thank you
0: so much for calling in. That's really, I mean, Sloane Crosley, don't we have amazing callers? That seems
1: like everybody's I, got this that, philosophy of life and love. <laughs> I just kept thinking when, when she was talking, um, I just kept thinking, I've just lost a customer. This woman doesn't need to read the book. She's got it. <laughs> We're good.
0: <laughs> She's unlocked the secret. She knows Carrie Bradshaw's answer, but where the Where was the she when goes? I was writing? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call in and chat with us, uh, Sloane Crosley's on the line with me from New York City. Someone's texted in and kind of keyed into this uh, idea of a generational difference in dating. And the texter says, millennials and their generations near. So I'm thinking the lucky generation or below. I know. I
1: love that name. I've
0: actually never heard of that, Sloane. So I'm going to oh, keep that. Not, I didn't make it up. I'm, I'm the same generation. Good as you, so I like to know that we're lucky and not forgotten, which is what Mm -hmm. we usually are, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But to go on with the text, um, I'll start from the beginning. Millennials and those generations near are both drivers and defenders of acceptance of difference, i.e. through gender, identity, and sexuality. This seems to have bled into romantic relationships, and as a mother of a young adult, it seems that condemnation, even deserved of an ex, is seen as a character flaw. Some exes might just suck as people, and I
1: think it's okay to say this. What do you think, Sloan? <laughs> yeah, I mean I think that um I think that's a life truth and would make a very short novel. <laughs> so it, <laughs> yes. Some people, um, you know, an expression here is I don't know if it's everywhere, but you can't fight City Hall. You know, it just it just this is this person um maybe I think what's always confounding to me is Hmm. There's this, without being too gross and just sort of um, quoting my own novel, but um, there's a sort of speech um, that Lola gives to a friend of hers about halfway through the book, where she really cracks because everybody's asking these questions of her very similar to the kinds of questions that you're asking and and your callers are as well. Um, And she's just like, you know, I don't, what am I supposed to do? I am you know, this is what I've been dealt. I'm just trying to make things even. And it's so unfair because, you know, people go and they have a breakup and they talk to their friends and their therapists about how terrible that person was. And somewhere across town, that person's therapist and friends are saying that they made such a great decision to sort of set you loose because it wasn't healthy. So it's like, what's true? (laughs) Um, But I feel like, uh, of course, there are people that – You know, I don't know if there are, like, actual bad seeds out there, but there are people that, like, maybe aren't relationship people that you were trying to make into something that they're not.
0: Right. Okay. I I like that. Let's go to another call from Gwillem in Eltham, New South Wales. Welcome to Life Matters, Gwillem. What are your thoughts on hanging on to the memories of exes as you move forward in life?
4: Uh well, it's a huge thing. It's a massive thing for me because I was married for 18 years and um, along came... Look, it, it was for a long time I wanted to leave and and I had two young children and uh, so I didn't leave and I, I felt like I often just pushed things down and pushed, pushed my own desires down many times. But the point about it is when I had my midlife crisis, as it were, and I left, it really propelled me forward. I was so hungry for change, and to get away from that, um, which was just stifling, and um, to move forward. I I, I went to five gurus. I ended up in a cult in America. um, And uh, this was a long time ago. But... um, you know, it just propelled me on a pathway where I, I recognized uh, things about myself.
0: How interesting that there's resonance with um, your book called Classic Sloan Crosley about mm-hmm. exes, relationships and, and, you know, getting pulled into these these cults. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. sometimes it's not healthy to hang on to past relationships and thoughts and it is necessary to move forward and, and keep going. Not every relationship, perhaps, you know, we've had some wonderful texts where people have been able and calls where people have been able to find find that 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 treasure from from the loss but uh you know it's not for everyone and we have to recognize that we've got a message from fiona who says it's really important we honor the grief when we leave a relationship it took me 20 years to grieve a beautiful relationship there's always so much learning to be done and that crystallizes beautifully doesn't it sloan Crosley? that grief is is part of the process and we can't Shut
1: that out. It's it's really important to give space to those feelings. I also feel like the the word learning is really interesting, and it's sort of um, what the past two people have chimed in sort of have in common. Um, whether it's you know, it's just you should be um, hopefully unconsciously just because you take joy in life um, mining your experiences so that they're not all just, um, this sort of shapeless mush, um, which isn't to say that everything has to have a neat little lesson and, um, tied up at the ends, like a piece of candy, but it's, it's the most fundamental thing, right? I mean, if I, if I trip and I stub my toe on a chair, I would probably move the chair. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't just keep kicking the chair. (laughs) And so I feel like, why aren't we like this Um, and recognizing patterns like this, um, within, you know, our own relationships and, and recognizing those patterns maybe means I've moved forward. I never want to do it again. And sometimes it's, um, you know, I feel like I've personally learned something from every relationship I've ever had. Um, and sometimes that lesson is what you want. And sometimes that lesson is what you don't want. Um, but the big sort of thrust of the book is that, um, there's not this sort of perfect person, um, Necessarily waiting for you, um, but there is a way in which, of course, you two are perfect together, if you
0: will. Yeah, and ultimately, perhaps it's not the search for the other person, but if I if I dare go there here on life matters, I think mm-hmm. I'm in safe space. <laughs> but it's doing the work on yourself, isn't it, Sloan Crosley?
1: It is. I mean, it's about the friends we made along the way. No, I mean, I really. <laughs> I, I, I know it all sounds. I mean, this is the problem: is that you know in. I generally have avoided writing about romance my entire life. Um, there's like one why essay on a, a hundred not. because the truths are so fundamental and it's such a massive topic um that you really have to find your own sort of interesting angle in. So if I were to write about, let's say, like the Civil War tomorrow, I don't I mean, this is a well trodden subject, right? I mean, I guess I could write about like Lincoln's hats. You know I have no idea how I would get in in a way that's specific to me um, and I feel like I have done with cult classic I don't I don't know um, I'm not gonna reinvent the wheel I'm not Shakespeare but just the problem is is twofold one is that all of this stuff whittles down to the sort of um, cliche for a reason you know it's hard to talk about this without sort of um Reducing myself from sort of a, an author into a, like an after school special or like a <laughs> Lifetime or Hallmark movie, you know, because there are certain fundamental truths that, you know, pierce through Hallmark that pierce through Anna Karenina. They're the same things. Mm. Um And then the other reason is I personally um, had this sort of aversion to being pigeonholed um, as an author who writes about dating. That can be um not so great for one's career frankly right. I hear you um, we've yeah. got a text here that says I'm still
0: friends with most of my exes and many of them are now actually friends with each other I figure there's wow. always I know wow <laughs> I figure there's always something special about that person for me to have been in a relationship in the first place so why throw out the baby with the bathwater I love that that's a—that's like that peak too. level Ex-friendshipping, when your exes are friends with each other and everybody's cool with it. Very, very adult, very, very mature. Uh, Sloane, just to pivot a little bit, there's a question coming in from a, a, a listener who is a fan of yours. I've got a question off-topic, the texter writes. I was wondering what is Sloane's writing routine? Does she start early in the day, go late at night? How does she tackle pumping out so many great books? Thanks.
1: Wow. Well, there's a lovely compliment embedded in there. So thank you very much. Um, Basically, I leave the house, hope to run into an ex-boyfriend, see what happens. No, no, I feel like I am very motivated by um, fear and (laughs) stress. Aren't we all? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's always better to be motivated by something positive. But, you know, if you're running towards or running from, sometimes you'll get to the same place. Um so um I tend to wake up and write when I'm fresh. Um and then I sort of hit a wall in the afternoon. Um and everybody does it. I don't even think you need to be a writer with any job. You know when you're sort of slowing down, you pump out two sentences and then and then you're like, oh, I need a cookie." <laughs> you know, I just I just and you're like, "Well, this is not exactly um flowing as it were." Um and then I tend to read um hopefully in the evenings or the afternoons, but um I think you know, for my first 3 books, um Or Yeah, the first two were collections of essays, um, but not collected from it. It's not like I swept them into a dustbin. They were written, you know, original for those, for I was told there'd be cake and for how did you get this number. Um, And I had a day job during that time. Um, And so there was a real, um, you know, the adage, if you want something done, give it to the busiest person in the office. Yeah, I felt like I could write essays like that. Um, but when I finally quit, I quit to write a novel because I felt like the novel actually required more immersion than I was gonna get from having a full-time career.
0: Well, there you if go. That helps. No, that I'm sure that helps. And it's a sneak peek of what you will be talking about when you arrive on Australian shores. Sloane Crosley, thank you so much for joining us on Life Matters this morning. Sloane Crosley is an essayist and novelist. Her latest book, Cult Classic, is out now. And if you'd like to hear more from Sloane, she will be appearing at Adelaide Writers Week on March 7th and 8th, the Wheeler Centre in Melbourne on March 9th, and the All About Women Festival at the Sydney Opera House on the 12th of March. One more text here about exes and relationships, the texter says, I have a level of unspoken etiquette that I show my partners when it comes to exes. I believe it's a good balance of respectful to my partner and honest to me and my past. What's scary is finding out your current partner doesn't show you the same etiquette. Indeed, perhaps that is a too hard basket dilemma in the making, which is where we are going next.
4: Think bigger about the world we live in.